hello, hello, hello. Please take a seat. Can you hear me okay? Thank you, amazing worship team. You are so gifted and blessed in this family to have such talented musicians. Exceptional. And I, I have a, a fondness for my friend on the guitar here. It's like you clearly love what you do. Yeah, you, there's just a joy that emanates as you sit there. It makes people want to lean in and be part of what you're doing and, and what a gift that is to be able to encourage the rest of us. Well, welcome to me. <laughs> I feel like I know you because um, of my uh, sister Leanne and her husband Jürgen. I'm the oldest sister. I know you couldn't tell. It's, it's okay, it's okay. It saves embarrassing conversations afterwards. Um, you probably uh, know that Pastor Leanne is one of five girls. She's number four. I'm number one. So I <laughs> that that is a mixed blessing at times. I I like to say that actually mum and dad just got better and better as they went along because um, the three oldest ones, uh, we are very, very one-eyed and obsessed with our number four and five sisters. Um, we just adore them and uh, we'll never hear a bad word said about them, unless we say it and then it's okay. <laughs> you know, family has immunity towards family. My husband learned that when he came to our house and he's, it was quite overwhelming for him because there's my mum and five daughters and a female dog and cat and, uh, and my dad, who's lived his whole life surrounded by females and Gary's like, I, I felt like I was in a parallel universe. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't quite know what the language was or what the culture was. It was quite distinct. And, and then at one point, you know, I said something about one of my sisters. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, uh, 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 no, you don't get to speak against her. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but the sisters and the father are a no-go zone. Like my dad is uh, loving life because he has six women that worship the ground he walks on. So... Any of you dads out there of girls, you live in the dream. It may not always feel like the dream in those teenage years, but it does get better. We all come good in the end. Well, I want to thank, um, obviously, my and honour my sister and her husband, Jürgen. They're phenomenal leaders, and we are just so proud of them as a family and so uh, encouraged by everything that they're doing. And just what you see is what you get with Leanne and Jürgen. Um, there is not an ounce of duplicity about either of them. And so when you see growth and health and life, you know it's come from a great place because they are the definition of authentic. And it's been a dream to get to know some of the growing C3 San Diego and Salt Lake City family. And um, I'm, as Becca said, we, we did the hard yards at Cherish Conference. <laughs> Felt like a marathon. It was only 5Ks. It was incredibly early in the morning, though. And so that, that didn't help. But we have a T-shirt and a necklace. So are there any other Cherish girls here? Anyone else? Okay. So I'm coming back to, my, you know, to uh, defend my title of I think I came, I don't know, something that didn't matter. But <laughs> I will improve. <laughs> so I hope to see all of you there because you, you get merch at the end. And I will run any distance if I get a shirt and a, and a necklace. So, <laughs> but I'm hoping it stays 5Ks. <laughs> um, I think on the screen maybe there is a picture of my family, um, just to put me in context. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was owing about my dog. Um, 
There's my husband and my daughter, Sophia, who are both here down the front row. And our, our son, Jacob, is not here today, but Sophia's 18, Jacob's 20. They're both um, at university. Sophia's just about to start because our school year uh, runs opposite to you guys. So we're in the heat of summer at the moment. Um, and w Gary and Sophia and I and Jacob had just come from Washington, D.C., where we were in the depths of winter. Well and truly, that was a shock to the system, let me tell you. Um, but I can't go without mentioning the most favoured member of the family. <laughs> She's our Labradoodle called Bailey, who we're all missing. So our family might just take a long look. Look at that face. Isn't he precious? And... Uh, He's, he's staying at our house. Um, our house is being looked after by a young married couple <laughs> and apparently he's been sleeping on all the beds. So anyway, so he's in no hurry for us to return. Anyway, I have much more important things to talk about than my dog. So <laughs> let me pray and uh, we'll get into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, it's an honour to stand in front of your people and to bring any word of life and truth on your behalf, God. I pray that all that remains in the ears and the hearts of each person here is the word that you have purposed for each one of them. Father God, may your name be honoured. May our hearts be enlarged and healed. God, may this city and this nation resound with the truth of your love, your unfailing love, mercy, grace and kindness. God, we want to see a revival of hearts. We want to see transformed lives, restoration and the fullest, richest expression of your blessing on every person here and the families and influence that they represent. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm of an age where I now need to wear glasses pretty much all the time, but um, I'm, I'm not multi-talented enough to always handle glasses, microphone and notes and Bible. So forgive me if I have a coordination fail down here. <laughs> So I wonder if any of you can um, relate to this scenario. It's just been Christmas at home, um, which is summer for us. I know it feels like Christmas was months ago, doesn't it? But it's really only six weeks ago. But I give you that reference just to uh, basically tell you a little story about myself. I, like Pastor Leanne, am not afraid to basically make a fool of myself and be honest for your benefit. So no judgment because I'm, I'm hoping to encourage you with how flawed and broken I am. <laughs> a few weeks leading up to Christmas, you've got the long to-do list, you've got all of the jobs that need to be done, you've got more social engagements than normal, you've got responsibilities, high expectations of others and yourself, well I do, <laughs> I suppose is the caveat, and on one particular day I had a long list of things that I needed to do and I felt like I was ticking the boxes quite well, um, it was a hot day, traffic was bad, Parking was hard to find. I was having to pay for parking when I didn't want to have to pay for parking. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> and uh, I got to the last job on my list and it was to return an item to a store. Should have been a straightforward experience. I won't bore you with the details, even though they are still etched on my mind. But it was not a shining moment of me being an ambassador for Jesus. Because the sales assistant was clearly not having a good day and I allowed her bad mood to infect my neutral mood, let's say. I, I wasn't doing cartwheels at this point, but I was keeping it real. And by the end of our, what became, let's say, robust discussion over whether or not something could be exchanged and for how much it could be exchanged and when it would happen, um, 
we both left that exchange quite dissatisfied <laughs> with the experience and I started the trajectory down into a bad mood. And then I got in my car and then I got behind the slowest driver in Wollongong, which I actually thought was me because I am a slow driver. My husband's a fighter pilot and so he drives like everything is a strategic mission. Whereas I'm like, live and let live on the road, babe. Like, no, no pressure here. I got nowhere to be. So I'm generally the person that he's most angry at when he's driving. I'm like, babe, that could be me. In fact, that probably was me. <laughs> Those people that take too long to take a turn, that let people in. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm in here singing and it's all good. Not on this day. This day, the temperature is rising outside and inside the vehicle. I'm getting ticked off because nothing is going my way. And then I get home, it's the middle of the afternoon, we've got people coming over, which I hadn't actually communicated to the family, my bad. So you can imagine that when I get home and it looks like a scene from the Gulf War in my house, and my two young adults are swanning around upstairs in front of some sort of digital thing, that my mood took another turn downwards. And then when my husband returns from mountain biking, because what else is there to do when I've got 600 things to do, um, I did what is known in Australia as spit the dummy. Do you guys have that expression? Okay, that's our word for a pacifier. So pacifier in mouth, spat out of mouth in a tantrum. So when somebody really loses their stuff, you say they spat the dummy. You're welcome. You have a new phrase. Well, I did that in a very undignified way. I mean, I'm about to turn 50 and I was acting like I was five. And as I took a moment of after my ranting and raving where the whole family's just like, take a step back from mum and give her space and who is that beast that has emerged and what's going on, I began to realise I'd infected the whole atmosphere of the home. So now everybody's miserable, including me. And for about 30 seconds, I felt justified in my righteous indignation and frustration. Because seriously, wet towels, people. Can we take a moment? How hard is it to hang up a towel? I mean, we're going to talk about deeper issues, but let's not get over, you know, let's not neglect the obvious things. The towel goes from your body either on the floor or on the drying rack. I don't know. I don't see it as being a major difference. But apparently, it's very hard. And put the dishes away does not mean putting them in the sink next to the dishwasher, the fully functional dishwasher. So all of these things have conspired against me. And I feel totally satisfied for about 30 seconds in being ticked off at my family because they're so thoughtless. And then the Holy Spirit... <laughs> <laughs> says, hmm, I think there's a better way, isn't there, Linda? I'm like, mm, probably. But, <laughs> but who knows, any mums in the house here, that it's never actually about the dirty towels, the wet towels or the dishwasher. It's about feeling taken for granted. Last night, Gary and I were um, in our hotel room here in Salt Lake City and um, about 3 a.m. we got woken up by the loud uh, abuse argument happening probably above us. And as uh, two people hurled expletives at one another and slammed doors, 
for a good 20 to 30 minutes and we got up and checked out and thought what you know do we need to intervene as and we could hear everything that was being said and I heard one person yell at the other you didn't tell me that that's what you were doing why don't you ever tell me anything and the other person yelling back you never bleep 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 apologize and I thought it wasn't about the communication it was about the pain of the heart. I could, I could feel the pain of that exchange. There was a better way and a deeper story going on there. This past week, we've been um, in your amazing country. We've had a week in Washington, D.C., and we've loved every minute. It's been just so phenomenal. It helps me understand Americans. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, getting to see, you know, how your nation was birthed and established and... Um, what's going on as you head towards an amazing future. Um, but while we were up there and I was, you know, watching the news, turning on um, the news feed on my phone or flicking on the TV or picking up a newspaper, and I read exchanges and conversations between people who are in offices of great significance and influence that sound like they're five or six years old where you listen to words and of, of really of hatred, of a tone that is anything but honouring or civil, exchange between people from both sides of the political spectrum. And it's actually the same in our country. And again, I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me, to me there's a better way, there's a bigger story here. Because I think that my explosion about the wet towels on the floor and sadly whatever was happening between the couple that were above us in the early hours of this morning and what's going on between the leaders of my country and your country and many other nations, it's about a whole lot more than issues of policy or wet towels or whether or not somebody came home when they said they were coming home. It's about the state of our hearts. It's our hearts that are hurt. It's our hearts that are broken. It's our hearts that are carrying wounds and offence and years and years of resentment and sometimes bitterness. It's our hearts that actually need healing. If we are going to see our nations, our communities, our churches, our families represent the fullness of all that Jesus came to give us, it's not going to be about us modifying our behaviour. It's going to be us healing our hearts, allowing God to heal our hearts. Now, I know for some of you, you hear the word heart and you immediately think, oh, my gosh, it's going to be one of those soft, girly messages. Can I just say for the record, there's nothing soft or girly about me. I do run marathons, actually. <laughs> and uh, I... Um, take the responsibility of speaking God's truth and bringing God's word of life very seriously. Because heart, our heart is about a whole lot more than just emotion. And so I know that for some people you hear the word heart and you think, well, just tell me something practical to do. Just give me the strategy. But when Pastor Jürgen asked me to speak on the topic of check your heart, I thought, you know what? That is prophetic. That is entirely relevant and profoundly now because what is going on what we see spilling out onto our newspapers and our news feeds what we overhear in hotels and shopping centers and car parks 
what is exchanged within the four walls of our home is an overflow of what is happening in our heart. Because you can present whatever face you want to the world for a, for a length of time. But God's word tells us that it's what's stored in our hearts. That is what God is looking at. First Samuel, you may recall that when um, the prophet Samuel went to anoint a new king, that um, Jesse brought all of his sons before him, excluding David. And it was right at the end when Samuel said, no, not this one, no, not this one, no, not this one, that they brought David out from the field. David, who would become King David, probably one of the most famous uh, heroes of the Bible and the man that in 1 Samuel and the book of Acts we hear is a man after God's own heart. And when Samuel saw him, he said, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so this morning... I want to encourage you to sort of lean in a little bit more and listen to the voice of God's Spirit that's going to speak to each one of you. Like, you, I'll be background noise, I think, today, because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to each one of us and remind us that it's time to stop fussing about the outside and deal with what's going on in the inside. It's time to actually check your heart because God sees your heart and he's the only one that can heal your heart. The effort and the energy that you have spent trying to maintain an external appearance to impress, to be included, to be validated, to feel like you belong because you feel like that's what's expected, it's exhausting. It is exhausting to fake it. Like, it can be messy to be real, <laughs> I know from first-hand experience. <laughs> but when you get to almost 50, you give up explaining. Like, I, I don't feel like I need to explain that much anymore. Like, I am, I, honestly, I am who I am. What you see is what you get. You see where God is high-fiving for the victories and where God's like, babe, you need to lean in. We've got some serious work to do here. <laughs> And having just travelled with my family for nearly 10 days on holidays in close quarters, I don't want you to ask them about some of the low points which have happened in the last 30 hours. <laughs> this is a work in progress, but I am determined in my own life and I want to encourage you in yours that if we are to see anything close to what I know God sees as possible, that we really need to do some internal work. We need to deal with our hearts. My glasses need to go back on. Matthew 12, 34 says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in the ancient Hebrew tradition, the heart was the center of someone's personhood. So when we think of heart, we often just think of emotion. But in the biblical references, of which there are almost 1,000, from the Old Testament right through to the end of the New Testament, when the writers of God's word used the word heart, what they were talking about was actually the fullness of who we are. Not just our emotions, but our wisdom, our intellect, our perspective, our consciousness. I don't know whether you're aware of this, but there's actually a place in California called the Heart Math Institute. Has anyone ever heard of that? Yes. Validation. Yeah. Um, so not just me and Google, but <laughs> we have a witness. But the Heart Math Institute actually measures statistically, scientifically, 
the relationship between our heart and our brain and our behaviour. And what most of us believe is that our brain, through neural transmission, dictates what happens in our heart. And that is true. But our heart actually sends signals back to our brain as well. In fact, our, brain, our heart sends 90% more signals back up to our brain than our brain sends to our heart. And it's fascinating to me that what the Bible has declared for thousands of years, that science is still now trying to catch up and unpack. That when the Bible says that out of the abundance of your heart you speak, it actually knew what it was talking about. When the Bible says, guard your heart above all else because out of it springs the issues of life, it's because the writers and the, and the Spirit of God knew that we needed to check and guard and keep and nurture and protect and see our hearts restored. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, the overflow of what has been stored in your heart will be seen by your fruit and will be heard in your words. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what he was referencing then was actually from Proverbs chapter 4. In fact, if you like reading Proverbs, the whole of chapter 4 is a phenomenal um, compilation of words of encouragement around our heart. And it says... In Proverbs chapter 4, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. You see, what we believe about who we are and what we are drives everything about us, and that's stored in our hearts. What is at the heart of your heart this morning? Because what you believe about that answer affects all that you are and do and everybody else around you too. See how I made that rhyme? <laughs> it's, sometimes I feel like I, it's quiet and I'm a very much like I want to draw you close. So feel free to like give me a wave up the back there that you're actually with me. Because I can only barely see you, I will say that you look incredibly attractive. And you are definitely the best-looking gathering of God's family that's happening today. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, anyway. <laughs> so what's happening in our hearts is actually what is what is most important to God. What's happening in your heart. So if we want to see change in our worlds, we want to restore our cities, we want to see revival... See, revival is a word that we like to throw around because it sounds, it's a rallying cry. And, and it's awesome and it's valid and it's true and we need to put focus on revival. But can I remind you that revival starts in you? Not just with you, but in you. That until we deal with us, we are actually not bringing anything of value to other people. I don't want to contaminate somebody else with my bitterness and cynicism and disappointment. That is, a, that is not bringing any honour to Jesus, nor is it representing him well. So I need to daily deal with the condition of my heart. But as we launch into looking at our hearts this morning, I want to remind you that when you were created, you were created good. We referenced Genesis this morning, 
You know that when God created humanity, man and woman, he created them, says God said, not this is good. He said, this is very good. And so I want you to always remember that your starting point is approved by God. That your, start, your point of origin is that you are chosen and accepted and affirmed by God. Your starting position is you are already loved, just as you are. So what we're talking about now is not getting you in, it's about making you whole. So when we talk about a heart, it's not so that you can still stay on the team, because God said, you're already part of my family. I saw you, I breathed life into you. Psalm 139, the most beautiful description of how intimately God knows us and loves us. That's the definition of unconditional love, is that no matter what condition you're in, God loves you. Let that be the foundation through which you hear everything else I say this morning. You are loved by God, and now God wants you to be free. We've sung about it, and, and can I just be like even more real for a minute? Is that as we sing songs like that, I know that there are times in my life where I've been singing it and my heart has been going, liar. My brain's been saying, hypocrite. Where I'm at war in myself because I am saying words and they are not my reality. So don't for a second believe that because that might be you today, that that discounts you. That actually makes you part of the family. Because <laughs> none of us have got it all together and are sitting here saying, here, follow me, I'm an expert. The only thing I'm an expert on is starting over. <laughs> you know, I kid about the marathons, but I mean, I, don't, I do run marathons, but life is a flippin' marathon. It's about just hanging in there and sticking with it. And that is the secret to doing anything of any distance or substance, is actually not giving up. Not feeling that because you're tired, that excludes you. Because you're injured, that now you can't participate. It's the opposite is true in God's family, is that the broken, the lame, the crippled, the have-been, the wannabes, we're all included. We're all part of that family. And the thing that we know that binds us together that we need to remember about the people we like, the people we're related to, and the people we don't like, and the people we can't even say their name out loud without feeling sick, is that we are all loved by God. We are all loved by God, and we are all made in the image of God. And when we remember that, it changes the way we treat each other, and it changes the way we treat ourselves. See, what I have realized <laughs> that from in, in recent times, as I have looked on the landscape of what's going on in the political world in my own nation and the way that people communicate with each other, uh, it makes me so sad is the honest truth. There are moments where I feel indignant and angry and I want to get on Facebook and I want to write something really regrettable. <laughs> but it would feel good in the moment until I hit send and then I'd be like, why? Sorry, Jesus. But, you know, we all have those times, right, where people just push our buttons. The Holy Spirit reminds us there's a better way. Deal with your heart. Why did that offend you? Why does that cause you to feel angry and frustrated? Why does that make you want to lash out? 
rather than focusing on what the other person has done, why are we responding the way that we are? What needs to change in us that we can love our enemies rather than hate them? That we can speak life in the face of death? That we can speak light in a place of darkness? That we can bring hope and truth and grace and peace in a place that's broken and diseased and the opposite of everything that we ever thought would be our reality? It starts in our heart. Proverbs 14, verses 29 to 30, reminds us, when your heart overflows with understanding, you'll be very slow to get angry. But if you have a quick temper, your impatience will be seen by all. Mm. No witnesses from the Pesavento family. <sighs> yes, let's just say I had a moment yesterday. <laughs> I'll claim tiredness, a little bit of residual jet lag, uh, Middle-age menopause, um, <laughs> air travel. <laughs> the truth was I should have just kept my mouth shut because what came out of it was ugly. But a tender, tranquil heart will make you healthy. Jealousy can make you sick. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. That's Proverbs Chapter 14, you see, when my heart is compromised, my living and my being is compromised too. A hurting heart destroys relationships, it destroys us, and it actually makes us sick. We only have to look around at the statistics around mental and emotional health let alone physical health, to see that that, again, my friends, is a classic, timeless Bible truth that is reality, is that the condition of our hearts affects our physical body. And at the end of um, our time together, we're going to have some prayer at the end of this service, but I honestly believe that there are people here today, and there is no shame or condemnation, there is nothing but opportunity here, is that the condition of your heart is actually making you physically sick. You are battling with illnesses in your physical body that are, are a result of anxiety from a place of brokenness, pain, unresolved anger, resentment, hurt, and broken relationship. And you've had it for so long that it's presented itself as only one thing. But again, as the Holy Spirit reminds me, there's a better way and there's a bigger story. And the bigger story is that God wants to heal your heart so that your body can heal itself. Sometimes we get in a place where we're praying for a miracle in our physical body and God's like, you know what? You need to deal with the condition of your heart and your sleeplessness will go. Your anxiety and your ulcers, they'll deal with themselves. Your heart palpitations and your panic attacks, they'll subside if you actually allow me to set you free in your heart. There's no condemnation in that word. It's an opportunity word. And if that strikes in your heart, then I'm going to pray with you at the end of this sermon, this message. So what do we do when we know that it's the condition of our hearts? Because you're like, yes, okay, we get it. Our hearts are hurting. They're broken. Great. Now what? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. 
There's so many things that we can do, and I could give you uh, a five- or ten-point message on tips, but I'm not going to do that because um, you can Google those. What, <laughs> what I am going... <laughs> What I am going to do is I'm going to share a couple of stories with you because I am utterly convinced that the testimony of each other is a great encouragement to one another. Because, see, people can argue with your theories and theology, but they cannot argue with your experience. And so I'm going to share a few stories with you, and I am going to bridge, broach the topic of forgiveness. That's where we're going to land today. Because forgiveness is where freedom begins. It's where freedom began in our relationship with Jesus and it's where freedom will begin in your relationship with yourself and with each other. So, we've been told that we need to guard our hearts with all diligence. When we use the word guard, or when the word was written, it, it wasn't like, okay, we need to lock it up, wrap it in a padlock and throw away the key and guard it. It actually means to attend to, to nurture like you would a beautiful plant, like a flower. So we are to nurture and protect and be attentive to our hearts. And one of the most powerful examples of someone who did that is King David. I already mentioned him in the beginning, but I want um, to draw your attention to Psalm 139. I am borderline obsessed with a translation of the Bible called the Passion Translation. Is there anyone else a fan? Yeah, if you, if you haven't encountered it, I really encourage you. can get it for free on Bible Gateway app. It will transform the way that you read God's Word because it has been translated from original language now using modern context and uh, vocabulary in a way that it's like, boom, jumps off the page. I, I just, for free here, Romans, it can be a challenge to read, right? Romans in the Passion Translation, I was like, why did this not exist 20 years ago? Like, I always like, ooh, I've got to go into Romans and I get so confused. Now I read it and I'm like, oh my gosh, God, you're amazing. Why didn't someone explain this to me <laughs> this way? It just brings God's word to life with such passion. Crazy. Um, <laughs> so Psalm 139 is the beautiful psalm that most of you are probably familiar with where David talks in such intimate detail about how well God knows him. And in fact, the subtitle is, You Know Me So Well. <laughs> it's like a song. Okay, you're allowed to laugh. <laughs> but it says, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. What a beautiful posture of heart David had. You see, I think that's why God called him a man after his own heart. It wasn't because he didn't mess up, because heaven knows the man did. He was a murderer, adulterous, betraying, lying, cheating scoundrel apart from being amazing, you know, like he had some bad days <laughs> in the good days, but God still called him a man after his own heart. And it's because the posture of David's heart was humility and he was teachable. And in his moments of darkness, he leant into God, not away from him. 
And so when he says, search my heart, I love this phrase where it says, see if there is any path of pain. See, sometimes we hear, search my heart, and we can sort of like recoil a little because we're afraid of, being, of getting into trouble. Like, I already know that I've done the wrong thing. I don't need someone else to tell me, especially God. Like, I just want to go in the corner here and deal with my dysfunction on my own and hope that when I get it sorted out, I'll pop my head up and nobody will have noticed I was missing in action and I will be sorted and I'll be a happy, clappy Christian all over again. But the truth is that God's like, no, that strategy, sweetheart, does not work. What I need you to do is come to me, open, honest, humble, and I'm not going to get mad at you. The only person that Jesus ever got mad at were the religious Pharisees who kept people in bondage to rules that were life-destroying. He never got mad at people who were broken and helpless and asking for help, people who humbled themselves and said, I can't do this without you. There was, there was never any judgment. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save and restore the world. So when, you, when I'm going to ask you to present yourself to God at the end of this message, again, remember, you're already loved by God and he wants to restore you, not condemn you. And so we hear this scripture in Psalm 139 and we see that the better way is to come to God first. Not Google, although it is good for anecdotes, but Google is not the place you go to search and heal your heart. Actually, most of your friends aren't the place that you go to search and heal your heart. There, there might be a, a random good one in there that will be the one that God sends for a time and a place. But again, I feel like if we're going to be grown-up Christians, and it's sort of about time, isn't it? Like that we, we get grown-up and serious about this, that we've got to be able to sit with God on our own. <laughs> oh my gosh, what? What's going to happen then? Crickets chirping. That's my experience. I'm like, God, okay, here I am. It's been a full 90 seconds. Say something. <laughs> He's like, linger a little longer, Linda. And I'm like, I really don't want to. And actually, I'm starting to feel hungry. And uh, I'm pretty sure that I forgot to turn the dishwasher on. Maybe I'll go do that. And uh, if I still feel unsettled, I'll come back and we'll have a moment together then. I think that God wants to challenge each one of us to actually get real in our relationship with him. Not a relationship that we do via our amazing pastors or our amazing team and connect leaders, although they're all valuable and good and necessary. But it's actually going to be about us sitting in the presence of God and listening to the voice and the spirit of God and asking him to search our hearts so that we no longer have to walk on the path of pain. And I think that the one area where we are going to see real breakthrough today and as you leave this place and go out into your spheres of influence and impact is in the area of forgiveness. I want to share with you a quick story. Um, part of what I do when I'm not um, doing stuff like this is that I run an organisation called The She's Project, which is an online community for women uh, where we gather stories and testimonies from women all over the world. And I sit with women from all over the place of every age and demographic and background and experience and I help them articulate 
the testimony of what God has done in their life. And it's a gift to be able to do that. And one remarkable woman of many hundreds that I've done is a, a lady by the name of Denise who's from Rwanda. And if you're old enough, you'll remember that 22 years ago there was a genocide in Rwanda uh, when over the course of um, just a few days, a couple of hundred thousand people were massacred with machetes by their own, by another tribe in their nation in Rwanda. Rwanda is a country in Africa. And Denise saw the uh, murder of six members of her family. She was eight years old. And over the next two years as an eight-year-old, she lived, uh, she was actually taken by, uh, there were the Hootsies and the Tootsies, I won't go into the details, but she was taken by the enemy as uh, sort of like a guarantee that if things turned around and somebody came and rescued the country, that she would be like a safety for them, that they wouldn't be sent to prison because they had her. But what that meant is that she, as an eight-year-old girl, that she lived every night uh, in fear that she would be murdered in her bed by the older children in that family. That was the reality. This is not makeup. This is real. She then spent 18 months living in a refugee camp in the Congo because she believed her entire family were dead. What she didn't know is that her mother had been attacked and left to die on a pile of bodies but had crawled her way out of that and found freedom. It was two and a half years before Denise found her mother. She didn't recognise her because she, had, she was emaciated. She was uh, a different person. I met Denise uh, in Australia a few years ago and she shared actually for the very first time that story with me. And I helped her write that story down and uh, this isn't an advertisement, but if you go to the website, you can actually read her story in full, fisheriesproject.org. And she... She said, I became a bitter, violent and hateful young adult because of everything that had happened to her. And you can understand it. I mean, think of how frustrated you get when someone kicks you, you know, cuts you off in traffic. She's actually witnessed the massacre of her family and is now living in a country where the people that massacred her family are still there. She had to get on with her life but she got on with her life through bitterness and hatred and violence she used to beat up other kids at school she said uh, and I could not reconcile that picture with the person that I met but uh, she said one, one day somebody came to our school and they gave a message about someone called Jesus and she said he was a survivor like me see I think about how unfathomable this is, is that they actually lived side by side with the people that killed their family. So she was in class with people whose families had murdered other people's families. She said, we knew, we saw ourselves as the survivors. We were defined as the survivors. And so the only person that I would listen to was another survivor. So when this young man got up as a survivor and said, I was angry, I was bitter, I was full of hatred, and then I met Jesus, she said, I started to listen, not because of what he said, but because he had what I desperately wanted. He had peace. She said, I could see peace. I could hear peace. And more than anything, what I wanted was for the pain to stop 
for the anger and the bitterness to go away that I didn't know how until I met Jesus. Now that sounds like a great testimony from somewhere else, but I, I had that conversation with that woman. She then went on to go to university and she said, when I had Jesus and I knew what it was to be loved by Jesus, I was able to forgive. And she said, some of my best friends are people from the tribe that killed my family because I saw them not as murderers, but as people made in the image of God like me. How powerful is forgiveness? I think one of the greatest challenges that we all have in the condition of our hearts is that we still haven't quite grasped how forgiven we are. Because until we know how forgiven we are, it's really hard for us to extend forgiveness, God forgiveness to each other. And so we get caught in this tension. It's almost like there's civil war going on in the inside of us. I should forgive. I want to forgive, but I don't. I can't. I can't quite get there. And then, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm just, and God's like, I forgave you. I forgive you. I forgave you. It's all done. I've forgiven you. Now forgive others as I have forgiven you. Isn't that the Lord's Prayer? Jesus only gave us a few things that he said to pray. And one of them is the Lord's Prayer. And he said, forgive others as you have been forgiven. But we can't until we experience forgiveness ourselves. So I'm sorry, I just saw the time. (laughs) So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to just close with an opportunity for us to experience the forgiveness of God. So it might be easier for me, if you don't mind, if you all stand up. And if you're comfortable, just bow your heads, close your eyes. And we're going to have a very brief version of that moment alone with God. where the only voice that I really want you to hear is the voice of the Spirit of God. I'm just background noise. And in the deepest place of your heart, I'm going to pray this over each one of us and I want you to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. Psalm 139. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on. And lead me back to you. I just had a strong sense this morning as I was praying about our time together that there are a few different groups of people here. Today, I I believe that there are people here who are yet to fully experience the forgiveness of God. 
for the first time. You have been part of church. You've been on the periphery of faith. You have maybe even done jobs in church. But if you are honest, if you allow the searching gaze of God's Spirit on your heart, you haven't actually ever experienced the forgiveness of God, the salvation, restoration experience that only Jesus can bring us. If that's you this morning, I want you to just lift up your hand so I can pray for you. Because God wants to set you free. He wants the words that we've been singing to not just be words, but be your reality. He wants you to know the fullness of life that is ours in Christ. So if you know that you need to experience the forgiveness of God, I want you to just raise your hand up so I can see it. Thank you. I see a hand there and another and another and another. Thank you so much. Don't be shy. This is, a, this is a commitment that you are making between you and God. It's got nothing to do with me. We are The rest of us are background. This is a moment where you are actually positioning yourself and saying, God, I want to know what it is to be truly free, to be truly forgiven. I see hands all over the place. Thank you so much. Right now, we're going to pray together for each one of these people. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the hands that are raised and those that want to be raised. Because God, know, we know that you see the hearts. But God, right now we stand before you when we ask through the power of your spirit, wash us clean, make us whole, restore unto us the joy that is salvation through Jesus Christ. Father God, let the words that we have sung this morning become our experienced truth. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. God, I ask that you silence any lying voices of doubt or deceit or duplicity that the enemy of our hearts would come to undermine or distract. God, I pray that your spirit will be the loudest, clearest voice that resounds with such conviction in each one of our hearts and our minds in the very essence of who we are. I am loved. I am chosen. I am forgiven. I am free in Jesus' name. If, that, if you have made that commitment this morning, then I want you to say with me boldly and with power and conviction, I am loved, I am chosen, I am forgiven, and I am free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus. I have another group of people that I, I want to pray for this morning, but I want to be respectful of the time that we've got. Are we okay? Um, is that just as we're here, again, this is about you and Jesus. For me, it's always about pointing you to Jesus. It's never about any person on a stage. It's always about Jesus. And I will do anything I can in my power <laughs> to get you to find him, to know him, to experience him, to have a relationship with him so that you will live in the fullness of life that Jesus wants to give you. But I believe this morning that there are those of you here and as I've been talking and as the Holy Spirit's been whispering in your heart, he has brought to your attention a person or a situation where you know you are, you're sitting, in fact, some of you are drowning in unforgiveness. You feel like you've dealt with it because you don't talk about it that anymore but you don't need to because the people around you could tell you. 
there's a hardness and a bitterness about that. There's an anger and a frustration in you. Because in your heart you thought, if I just pretend it didn't happen, then it won't hurt so much. If I just say the right things that I've overcome, that I'm cool, it's, all things are possible. If I just say those things, then they will be my reality. But the truth is, you've been lying to yourself and God is no fool. God knows exactly what's going on. And so if you know that you have an area in your life where unforgiveness has got you bound and you want to be finally free, I I really believe that there are some fractured family relationships here this morning. You You don't have to put your, you don't have to give details or identify anything. I'm just saying that there are husbands and wives where you've come to church and you can barely stand each other. And all because of something, a conversation that just needs to be had and someone needs to be the first person to say sorry. It's not complicated. But the consequences are life-altering if we just take responsibility for saying, I'm sorry. You see, forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't hurt. Forgiveness doesn't mean necessarily, unless you're married, that you have to be best friends with the person. If you're married, you do. (laughs) But we can work on that together. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it wasn't unjust, inexcusable, or flat-out awful. Forgiveness just means I refuse to be held hostage to something any longer. So I am going to forgive because forgiveness is the first step to freedom. Forgiveness. So if that's you in any, in any sphere without any details whatsoever. There's no power in raising your hand other than the fact that you're going to own it. It's not for my benefit, it's for yours. If you know that you need to let go, to actually extend forgiveness and step out of unforgiveness this morning, then I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up really high. All over the place there are people raising their hands. I've got mine up. Holy Spirit, I just ask you right now for each one of us a specific word God a specific area and relationship where we know we have been holding on and we have been holding on tight and refusing to let your mercy and grace flow through us Father God it's not easy in fact it's painfully hard it feels so hard But God, we ask you, each one of us with our hands raised to heaven right now, give us the courage to forgive. Give us the grace to step into restoration, whatever that might look like, Jesus. We'll let you guide us in that journey. But right now, we release the debt that we believe the other person owes us. Father God, we release the injustice that's been done to us. We release the bitterness that's accumulated in our hearts. We release the anger and the frustration that seems to spill over into totally unrelated areas because, God, we hurt and we give our hurting hearts to you, God. We give them to you. Make them soft and whole and free and new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One last group, and I'm sorry I'm keeping you, but... In, in some respects, I'm not. Because 
I, I really feel like this is the real work of being a Jesus follower, is that we can do a whole load of amazing, incredible things, but if we don't live free on the inside, you know, we're not even buying what we're selling, are we? So just in this last moment, I believe that there are people here and you know in your physical body you are dealing with the consequences of a broken heart, however that's manifesting itself. And I specifically want to pray for you if that's okay. And there's a team here as well. So um, I just, uh, do you want me to do that now or later? No, now's okay. Um, if there's anyone here and you know that you need healing in your body and you know that your heart is broken, then I want you to just come down here real quick so I can pray for you. And um, we've got a team that's going to pray for you and maybe the worship team will just make it less awkward for everybody else. But I think it's too important. I really do think it's too important. And I promise to be quick <laughs> but powerful when I pray for you. If you come down, is do we have... Oh, yes, you're not the worship team. You're the prayer people. Okay, awesome. Just keeping it real here. <laughs> and if you are standing up there then I would really love you from your place of forgiveness and grace and wholeness and love to be praying for these people because there is nothing worse than living with a pervasive weight of chronic pain and illness that robs you of joy, that robs you of peace, that robs you of anything that resembles life in the fullness and abundance that Jesus wanted to give it to us. And so please pray for these people that they will see breakthrough and healing and wholeness in Jesus' name.